This is Zombie Chickens Podcast, where two heads are better than one, even if they're undead. My name is Marnay. And my name is Megan. (laughs) And with this episode, we are traveling to uh, Scandinavia, where we actually both are from. Um... Heritage-wise. I just wanted to say... <laughs> Heritage-wise. <laughs> Heritage-wise. Not um, physically... In, no, 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 no. My family's so South African, it's not even funny anymore. Yeah, I think we've been here for more than a couple of years. More, I mean, more than a couple of mil- millennials. Yeah, I think my family's here since the 1700s. 1700s? 1700s? 1800s? Somewhere, somewhere in between. Somewhere in between. Yeah, I think my my family is a bit. But yours uh, younger in South Africa, but it mm. has been a good couple of years. Because mm. mine's Sc- um, not Scandinavian, mine's Norwegian, and yours is. If you go back to the origins, also Norwegian, mm. but um, closely more to Wales, but. If you look at ancestry-wise, mm. Norwegians that went to Wales, mm. so Norwegian. Mm. Oh, no, same yeah. year. Norwegian. Yeah. So with this episode, we will discuss, as we said, Scandinavian stories and folklores. So Megan, you're going to start us off. I will start us off. My first story is called the Peapot. <laughs> 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 Not the peapot, the teapot. <laughs> oh fuck! Okay, this it's is Friday. Th- that's Friday. It's Friday, guys. This is the way to start. Okay. Well, no. So my story is the teapot, not the peapot. <laughs> um, it is by Hans Christian Andersen, Danish Nordic Scandinavian folklore. So. There was once a proud teapot. It was proud of being porcelain, proud of its long spout, proud of its broad handle. It had something before and behind, the spout before, the handle behind. And that was what it talked about. But it did not talk about its lid, which was cracked and riveted. These were defects, and one does not talk of of one's defects. For there are plenty of others to do that. The cups, the cream pot and the sugar bowl, the whole tea servers, would think much oftener of the lid's imperfections and talk about them than the sound handle and the remarkable spout. The teapot knew it. I know you, it said within itself. I know, I know, too, my imperfections. I am well aware that in that very thing I is seen my humility, my modesty. Imperfections we all have, but we also have compensations. The cups have a handle. The sugar bowl. The sugar bowl. <laughs> what do we talk about that? <laughs> okay. Bowl. <laughs> First, I talk about pee, and I talk about the bowels. Okay. The sugar bowl, a lid. I have both, and one thing besides in front, which they can never have. I have a spout, and that makes me the queen of the tea table. I spread abroad 
a blessing on thirsting mankind, for in me the Chinese leaves are brewed in the boiling, tasteless water. All this said the teapot in its fresh young life. It stood on the table that was spread for tea. It was lifted by a very delicate hand, but the delicate hand was awkward. The teapot fell, the spout snapped off, and the handle snapped off. The lid was no worse to speak of. The worst had been spoken of that. The teapot lay in a swoon on the floor, while the boiling water ran out of it. It was a horrid shame, but the worst was that everybody jeered at it. They jeered at the teapot and not at the awkward hand. I never shall forget that experience, said the teapot, when it afterward talked of its life. I was called an invalid and placed in the corner, and the next day was given to a woman who begged for victuals. I fell into poverty and stood dumb both outside and in, but then, just as I was, began my better life. One can be one thing and still become quite another. Earth was placed in me. For a teapot, this is the same as being buried. But in the earth was placed a flower bulb. Who placed it there, who gave it, I know not. But given it was, and it became a compensation for the Chinese leaves and the boiling water. A compensation, compensation for the broken handle and spout. And the bulb lay in the earth, the bulb lay in me. It became my heart, my living heart such as I had never before possessed. There was life in me, power and might. The heart pulsed and the bulb put forth sprouts. It was the springing up of thoughts and feelings which burst forth into flower. I saw it, I bore it, I forgot myself in its delight. Bliss is it to forget oneself in another. The flower gave me no thanks. It did not think of me. It was admired and praised and I was glad at that. How happy it must have been. One day, I heard someone say that the flower deserved a better pot. I was thumped hard on my back, which was a great affliction, and the flower was put into a better pot. I was thrown out into the yard where I, where I lay as an old potsherd, but I have the memory, and that can I can never lose. It's quite a sad story. It is a sad story. I don't know why, but I think of um, Beauty and the Beast. I, that's one thing that also, like, pulled me to the story. But as I read through the entire story, I was also like, I don't know, where it says the flowers grew sprouts and he lost his sprouts. And I don't know, it was just very mm. symbolic and very cute. And then, then I thought to myself, it's actually really sad. But I don't know, I just... But I like to watch um, videos where it's, it's a Japanese thing where if you break any crockery, they repair it and then and they use gold, gold leaf, yeah, to to almost it embroidered, but to sort of the, mark the scar. Yeah, it makes these beautiful artifacts. Yeah, rather than actually hiding the flaws, they emphasize it with mm. gold. Yeah, it is quite beautiful. I, I'm not I'm, I'm not quite sure what it's supposed to symbolize the story. I'm struggling to find it myself. I, I mean, I, there's beauty in, 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 everything, in everything. But that last sentence was just a little bit sad. Yeah, I, th I did. While I was reading, I didn't think it was going to go that route where they literally. Because <laughs> I was like, oh, they gave him a new life. Like he's mm. happy. Or she. 
I don't know, don't don't know the gender of the pot. Mm. And then suddenly it's like, oh no, sorry, the flower needs a better pot, so screw you. Yeah. And I was like, wait, wish what? <laughs> okay, I'll choose this story then. I know what you mean. It's quite a interesting story. Yeah, and it's sort of. I mean, we both tea, we are both tea lovers. That's also obviously why I was drawn to it because we're both tea lovers, and I just thought to myself, I feel like it sort of represents not losing yourself, but you can't go that far. Yeah, losing yourself, and also where the pot basically said that he only knew the flower and. He didn't think of himself. He just saw how the beauty of the flower mm. and that he gave life to it, mm. basically. Not life to it, but it was his heart, basically. Mm. And before that, all he could think about was its beauty mm. and didn't see its flaws at all. Yeah. So sort of losing... You, part of your identity? Basically, and also sort of not thinking of yourself at all anymore and only thinking of... Another person's beauty, mm. sort of. I mm. don't know. Just felt sad. <laughs> maybe it's a very I f- symbolic, <laughs> symbolic um, story. Yeah, maybe I felt sad when I read the story, and I was like, okay, I relate. <laughs> but it is quite relatable. I mean, somewhere in your life, you do find yourself searching your true self. Yeah, and when they were said like, one does not talk about its flaws or your flaws but it, it shows that obviously the plot had flaws mm. but sort of just ignored it and mm. kept on going and then like the worst happened and it mm. just and after that just sort of lost itself and concentrated on something else but yeah so that was a very Touching. Yeah, I, I still don't fully understand the symbolism behind it. but yeah. I think if, if we want to unpack it, it will be very, 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 very symbolic. Yeah. Mm. Any case, my story, I actually knew the story, but when I saw it, I never knew it's actually from Norway. Mm-hmm. Um, so my story is the mole that salted the sea. Uh, one of the reasons why I like the story, it's, it's about the sea and I have a love for the sea. But in any case, long ago, there lived two brothers. The older brother was rich and successful, but mean and arrogant. The younger brother was very poor, but kind and generous. One day, the poor brother and his wife found that they had nothing to eat in the house. They had no money either and nothing they could sell. To make matters worse, the next day was a holiday, a day of celebration. Now, in a lot of the stories, they say it's Christmas, mm. but I quite like this fact that it's holiday. But any case, moving on. Where are we going to get something to eat? Tomorrow is a holiday. How will we celebrate? Asked the poor brother's wife in tears. The poor brother was in a fix. He, didn't know, he did not know what to do. Go to your brother and ask for help, suggested the poor woman's wife. He killed a cow yesterday. I saw him. Surely he will not grudge us a little meat for the holiday. The poor man sighed. He did not like to ask his brother for help, for he knew how mean and selfish his brother was. But the next day was a holiday and he really could not think how else, how else to get something to eat. So the poor brother put on his ragged, ragged cloak and walked to his rich brother's house. 
What do you want? asked the rich brother as soon as he saw his poor, poor man. Why do you come here? cried the rich man's wife. Tomorrow is a holiday and we are busy preparing for the feast. Go away and we have no time for you. Brother, said the poor man, we have nothing to eat in the house, no food to celebrate the holiday. Lend me a little meat so that I and my wife may also celebrate. I knew it, shrieked the rich man's wife at her husband. I knew your brother would come here begging one day. Throw him out. The poor man ignored his brother's wife. Please, brother, he said, looking at the rich man. Oh, very well, grumbled the rich man. This, take this, and go to Haisi. And he threw a cow's hoof at the poor man. Now, Haisi, I have to admit, um, in this story, they, it has a name, but in, in other versions, it's the devil. Oh, okay. Just saying. The poor man thanked his brother and wrapped the cow's hoof in his tattered cloak and began walking back to his house. As he walked, he thought, My brother did not give me the cow's hoof. He has told me to take it to Haisi. So this piece of meat is not mine to eat, but Haisi's. I must take it to Haisi. Haisi is the wood goblin that lived deep in the forest. So the poor man turned around and walked, started walking towards the forest. The forest was a dark and gloomy place. But the poor man was determined to deliver the cow's hoof to Aisi, so he walked and he walked through the trees. After a while, he met some woodcutters. Where are you going so deep into the forest? asked the woodcutters. To Aisi, the wood goblins, replied the poor man. I have a cow's hoof for him. Can you tell me how to find his hut? Keep walking straight ahead, said the woodcutters. Turn never left nor right and soon you will be at Aisi's hut. But listen carefully. Aisi loves meat. He will offer you silver and gold and precious stones in gratitude. Don't accept any of those. Ask instead for his millstone. If he tries to offer you something else, refuse. Only ask for his millstone. The poor man thanked the woodcutters and walked on. Very soon he saw a hut. He went inside and there sat Haisi, the wood goblin himself. Why have you come here? asked Haisi. I have brought you a gift, said the poor man, a cow's hoof, and he held out the piece of meat to Aisi. Meat, cried Aisi in delight. Quick, give it to me. I haven't eaten meat in 30 years. Aisi grabbed the hoof and ate it. Now I shall give you a gift in return, said the wood goblin. Here, take some silver, he said, pulling out a handful of coins. No, I don't want any silver, said the poor man. Gold then? offered Aisi, pulling out two hands full of gold coins. No, I don't, want, I, don't, I don't want gold either, said the poor man. How about some precious stones? asked Haisi. Diamonds? Rubies? Sapphires? No, thank you. I don't want any of those either, said the poor man. Well, what do you want then? asked Haisi. I want your millstone, replied the old man. My millstone? explained Haisi. No, you can't have that but I can give you anything else you like. That's very kind of you, said the poor man, but I only want your millstone. Aisi did not know what to do. He had eaten the cow's hoof and could not let the poor man go without a gift in return. Oh, well, he said at last. I suppose I, suppose I must let you have my millstone. Take it. But do you know how to use it? No, said the poor man. Tell me. Well, explained Aisi, this is a magic millstone. It will give you whatever you wish for. Just make your wish and say, grind my millstone. 
When you have enough and want the millstone to stop, just say enough and have done. And it will stop. Now go. The poor man thanked Taisi and wrapped the magic millstone in his tattered cloak and began, began walking back to his house. He walked and he walked and he walked, and at last he reached his house. His wife was weeping, having given up him up for dead. Where have you been? she cried. I thought I'd never see you again. The poor man told his wife the tale of his adventures. Then, setting the magic millstone onto the table, he said, Grant my millstone, give us a feast fit for a king. The millstone began to grind, and there on the table poured the most wonderful dishes ever. The poor man and his wife ate and ate until they could eat no more. Enough and have done, commanded the poor man, and the millstone stopped grinding. The next day, the poor man and his wife celebrated the happy holiday. There was enough to eat and new clothes to wear. From then on, they never lacked anything. The millstone gave them a fine new house, green fields full of crops, horses and cattle, and enough food to eat and clothes to wear. Soon they had so much that they did not really need to use the millstone anymore. The rich brother heard of the poor man's chance of fortune. How could my brother have come to such riches suddenly? He wondered. I must find out. So the rich brother went to the poor brother's house. How have you gotten so rich so quickly? he asked. The poor brother told him everything, and Haisi and his gift of the magic millstone. I must get that millstone for myself, thought the rich brother. Show me the millstone, he demanded. The poor brother, not suspecting his brother of any wickedness, did so. He put the millstone on the table and said, Grind my millstone, give us good things to eat. At once the millstone began turning out and poured the most delicious pies and cakes and breads onto the table. The rich brother could not believe his eyes. Sell me the millstone, he begged for the begged to the poor brother. No, said the poor brother, the millstone is not for sale. Well then, lend it to me for a bit, said the rich brother. After all, it was I who gave you the cow's hoof to carry to Haisi. The poor brother thought for a bit. What harm could be there in lending his brother the millstone for a while? Very well, you may borrow, borrow it for a day, said the poor man. The rich brother was delighted. He grabbed the millstone and ran off with it without asking how to make it stop. He put the millstone onto a boat and rowed out to sea with it, where the fishermen were hauling in their catch of fish. The fishermen are salting the fish right, fish right now, he thought. They will pay well for fine salt. He was far out to the sea by now, far away from the land. There was no one near him, and he said, Grind my millstone, give me salt as much as you can. The millstone began to turn and outpour the finest, whitest salt imaginable. Soon the boat was full. The rich man decided to stop the millstone, but he didn't know how. Stop, my millstone, he cried. Stop grinding. I don't want any more salt. But the millstone kept turning, pouring out the finest, whitest salt. The rich man begged and pleaded with the millstone to stop, but he didn't know, how the, didn't know the magic words. So the millstone kept turning and pouring out salt and more salt. The rich brother tried to throw the millstone overboard, but he couldn't lift it. The boat was now so full of salt that it began sinking. Help! cried the rich man, but there was no one there to hear him. The millstone kept turning, pouring out salt, and the boat kept sinking till it sank to the bottom of the sea with the rich man and the millstone. The rich man drowned for his greed. But the magic millstone kept turning, even at the bottom of the sea, 
pouring out the finest whitest salt. It is turning there to this day, making more and more salt. And that, believe it or not, is why the sea is salt. Believe it or not. <laughs> yes. So a little story how the sea got salty. Did you know the story? No. I don't know how I know the story. I think it's school related, if I remember correctly. No idea. I've never heard of it. But it's an interesting story. Mm. When I saw it, I thought to myself, yes, that's a good story. <laughs> okay, my second one is The Butterfly. Also by the same person, Hans Christian Andersen. Mr. Anderson. Mr. Anderson. There was once a butterfly who wished for a bride. And, as may be supposed, he wanted to choose a very pretty one from among the flowers. He glanced with a very critical eye at all the flower beds and found that the flowers were seated quietly and demurely on their stalks, just as maidens should sit. But there was a great number of them, and it appeared as if making his choice would become very wearisome. The butterfly did not like to take too much trouble, so he flew off on a visit to the daisies. The French call this flower Marguerite and say that it can prophesy. Lovers pluck off the leaves, and as they pluck each leaf, they ask a question about their sweetheart. Thus, does he or she love me, dearly, distractedly, very much, a little, not at all, so and so on. Each one speaks these words in his own language. The butterfly came also to Marguerite to inquire, but he did not pluck off her leaves. He pressed a kiss on each of them, for he thought there was always more to be done by kindness. Darling Marguerite, Daisy, he said to her, you are the wisest woman of them all. Pray tell me which of the flowers I shall choose for my wife, which will be my bride, when I know... I will fly directly to her and propose. But Marguerite did not answer him. She was offended that he should call her a woman when she was only a girl. There is a great difference. He asked her a second time, and then a third. But she remained dumb, answering him not at all. Then he would wait no longer, but flew away to commence his wooing at once. It was in the early spring, when the crocus and the snowdrop were in full bloom. They are very pretty, thought the butterfly. Charming little lasses, but they are rather stiff and formal. Then, as young lads often do, he looked out for the older girls. He knew f he next flew to the... <laughs> Looking for the older girls. <laughs> oh. He next flew to the anemones, but these were rather sour to his taste. The violet was a little too sentimental, and the lime blossoms were too small. And, besides, there was such a large family of them. The apple blossoms, though they looked like roses, bloomed today, but might fall off tomorrow, with the first wind that blew, and he thought a marriage with one of them might last too short a time. The pea blossom pleased him most of all. She was white and red, graceful and slender, and belonged to those domestic maidens who have a pretty appearance, yet can be useful in the kitchen. Hmm. He was just about to make her an offer when, close by her, he saw a pod with a 
withered flower hanging at the end. Who is that? he asked. That is my sister, replied the pea blossom. Oh, indeed, and you will be like her some day, said he, and at once he flew away, for, the, for he felt quite shocked. A honeysuckle hung forth from the hedge, in full bloom, but there were so many girls like her, with long faces, shallow complexions. No, he did not like her, but which one did he like? Spring went by, and summer drew towards its close. Autumn came, but he had not decided. The flowers now appeared in their most gorgeous robes, but all in vain. They had not the, f the fresh, fragrant air of youth. The heart asks for fragrance, even when it is no longer young. And there is a very little of that, and there is very little of that to be found in the dahlia, dahlias and the dry chrysanthemums. Therefore, the butterfly turned to the mint on the ground. This plant, you know, has no blossom, but it is sweetness all over. It is full of fragrance from head to foot, with the scent of a flower in every leaf. I will take her, said the butterfly, and he made her an offer. But the mint stood silent and stiff as she listened to him. At last she said, I can give you friendship if you like, nothing more. I am old and you are old, but we may live for each other just the same. As to marrying, however, no, that would appear ridiculous at our age. And so it happened that the butterfly got no wife at all. He had been too long choosing, which is always a bad plan, and became what is called an old bachelor. It was late in the autumn, with rainy and cloudy weather, the cold wind blew over the bow bowed backs of the willows, so that they could creaked again. It was not the weather for flying about in summer clothes, but fortunately the butterfly was not out in it. By a happy chance he had got a shelter. It was in a room heated by a stove and as warm as summer. He could live here, he said well enough, but it is not enough merely to exist, said he. I need freedom, sunshine and a little flower for a companion. So he flew against the window pane and was seen and admired by those in the room who caught him and stuck him up on a pin in a box of curiosities. They could not do more for him. Now I am perched on a stalk like the flowers, said the butterfly. It is not very pleasant, certainly. I imagine it is something like being married, for here I am stuck fast. And with this thought he consoled himself a little. That seems very poor consolation, said one of the plants in the room that grew in a pot. Ah, thought the butterfly, one can't very well trust these plants in pots. They have had too much to do with human beings. Interesting story. Mm-hmm. Fucking morbid. <laughs> I, I don't know what went through my mind choosing these stories, but um, clearly there's a theme. <laughs> clearly. Yeah. I did not expect the butterfly to be pinned. Um... Yeah. Both stories um, had a very twist a twist at the end. Uh, do you know what you call a person that um, studies a butterfly? Uh, I think I knew, but I can't remember. It's a, a lepidopterist. Oh, yes, I remember. I think I'm pronouncing it correctly. I, I, I know what word you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. That's very morbid. Mm -hmm. Shit. Yeah. <laughs> but again, like the symbolization 
of these stories. Mm. Marriage. It's, it's it's weird that they... It's sort of like they try to symbolize life and love and those things through like inanimate objects and mm. animals. Mm. But not normal animals because if you look at other folklore they like use foxes and lions and they, they do like foxes and wolves though exactly yeah that's true the one um there's one that i read where the fox had cubs but the mother died in childbirth and he asked around for the animals to look after his cubs while he will um hunt mm. And the only person he could get that would, he thought, look after his kids was the fox. So he went on to hunt and brought some meat. And he said to the fox, but okay, he wants to look at these children. And the fox said, no, don't worry about them. They're sleeping. Hmm. So the fox ate the meat and ate one of the cubs. And so Ooh. the story went on until there were none, cu- none, none of the cubs, cubs left. None of the cubs left. And then one day when the wolf came back, the fox made sure that he wasn't present. And that's the story. What the hell? Interesting story. <laughs> Fuck. Okay. When I read it, I'm like, no, let's skip that one. <laughs> skip that one. It's a weird story. <laughs> we love weird. Weird, but like... Not that kind of weird. Yes. (laughs) Although this one I have is also a little bit weird. It is weird. It's called The Pastor's Wife. And it's also a Denmark story from Denmark. Mm -hmm. There was once a very poor girl who had the good fortune to marry well. For she married a pastor who had a fat living. He was a good man and fond of her. And she was fond of him and quite contented. But one one anxiety haunted her day and night. And that was a great dread, lest she have children. There were other women who worry about not having children, but this woman was always afraid that children might be her, her portion. So one day she went to a wise woman, that is to say a witch in the village, and she asked her whether she could not advise her how she might avoid having any children. Yes, yes that she could do, said the wise woman. And she gave the pastor's wife seven stones, for that was the number of children she should have had, said the woman. And all the pastor's wife needed to do was to throw these stones in the well. Then she would be spared of having any children. The pastor's wife took the stones, paid the wise woman well for her trouble, thanked her and threw the stones in the well. Then she felt quite light-hearted and think that she would need fear no more. Not long after, the pastor was taking a walk with his wife one clear moonlit evening and the way led them past the churchyard. As they walked, the pastor suddenly noticed that his wife cast no shadow. Mm. Mm. His own shadow he could see. It followed him everywhere, but she had none. A great fear came over the pastor and he asked her how it was that she had no shadow, something every human being had. She must have been guilty for some great sin, said he. Since she, since her shadow had left her, and this sin she must confess to him. In the meantime, they had reached the parsonage, and the parson kept pressing his wife to confess the grievous sin that had left her shadowless, while she insisted and finally took an oath that she had willingly committed no grievous sin. 
Then the parson grew angry, and striking the stone table with his fist in his cane, he said to her, It would be as vain for you to hope to find grace as it would be for a red rose to grow from this table. And he cast her out and told her to leave the house at once and never come more to set a foot over his threshold. The parson's wife put on all clothes that she had been wearing when she came when she came to him and wandered into the wall to regain the grace she had forfeited. Forfeited. And the parson strictly forbade his people to take anyone in at the parsonage, for he feared his wife might return. For a long time, the parson's wife wandered about, seeking advice as to how she might atone for a grievous sin, and none would help her. But at last, she could find a parson who when he had listened to all she had to say, and had carefully reflected on it, thought that perhaps she, he might be able to help her, but that she would have much to bear, and she would be able to endure it. Yes, she would dare anything in order to gain peace and forgiveness for the grievous sin that had waited on her. So he took her to ter- church with him, and bade her sit b- beside the altar. There she must sit the whole night through, he told her. He then put a book in her hand and forbade her to give it to anyone until he himself came in the morning and asked for it. And she must watch it carefully, for all sorts of people, closely resembling him, would come and demand for it. So the pastor went away, and she remained in the church by herself. Night fell, and she sat alone at the altar with the book. First, a curious fellow came up to her, who said nothing but spat thrice in her direction, then came seven children, one after another, first five boys, then two girls. These were the unborn children she should have had. They made clear to her what honest God-fearing men and women they would have become, and how happy they would have been had she allowed them to come into the world, and they spat at her one after the other. Then came a man who greatly resembled the pastor. He demanded the book and came so close to her that he almost touched her, but she did not give it to him. And then another person came, until the woman grew quite dizzy, but she sat quite silent, never moved, and clutched the book tightly. And thus she sat when the real pastor came in the morning and asked for her for it. She was still so confused that it was difficult for her, for him to take the book from her. Then he took her by the hand, led her from the church, and said that now, she, now that she was delivered. But he also told her, that she had but this one day to live, and now she should return to her husband. The pastor's wife at once set forth. She walked all day long, and walked evening. At twilight she reached her old home. There she asked to be taken in. The people no longer recognized her, but they still refused her request, since they had been strictly forbidden to take any anyone in, no matter who it was. But she pleaded so long and so earnestly that they finally allowed her to lie down behind the stove until daybreak, but then she was to make herself scarce as soon as possible. In the morning, when the pastor got up, he saw that the beautiful red rose had blossomed forth from the stone table he had once struck forth with his fist. A great fear seized him, and he knew that his wife must have returned. He went out at once to his people and asked them whether they had taken in anyone overnight. They all said no, but he went about searching everywhere and at length came to a stove where where he saw his wife lying cold and dead. 
Thereupon a strange feeling came over him. He went to he went in at once and took off his gown, gave it to his people and ordered them them to burn it at once. But they thought it would be a wicked shame to burn so good a gown and burned an old one instead. The following morning they found the pastor in bed. He was quite out of his mind and died not long afterwards. Damn. Weird story. Okay. Damn. <laughs> it left you speechless. <laughs> uh-huh. Don't know what you mean. Okay. Cool. <laughs> I, I really don't know what to say. <laughs> Same. When I read this story, I thought, uh, okay. Interesting. Interesting. For those that don't want children. Yeah. So seek mm. out a witch. But it's because or not because I don't know I'm fine with not having a shadow yeah. <laughs> I'm not fine yeah true it's making me scared <laughs> I'm gonna look at your shadow tonight yeah fuck uh, okay but that's I think that's it for this week yes our next episode will be about the top 20 so it's gonna be a top 20 list top 10 list Oh, shit. <laughs> Top 10 list. Why did I say 20? Well, can, we can do you, 20. You, you infected me, Megan. With your... I'm sorry. With my really bad... I don't know. <laughs> sentence building. Top 10 most haunted towns. Top 10 most haunted towns is the next one. And yeah. Each of us are going to do five towns each and we're going to do some research and tell you guys about it. So stay mm. tuned for that. And also don't forget to uh, follow us on all the social medias and Zombie Chickens Podcast. Um, don't forget to support us on Patreon, please. Only starts from $1.50 a month. And another thing, um, if anyone can leave us a review on Google Podcasts, uh, I don't know. Give us a five-star rating. Give us a rating. Um, yeah. And you can also comment on all of our social medias, me, social medias and leave suggestions. Anything you want. Um, we're always up for ideas of what we can do next. Maybe ideas for the, for the um, Patreons. Something yes, they would like to have. something you guys would like to have. We are starting to think and work on things that we can add to Patreon to make it more exclusive. Because currently there is nothing extra for Patreons. So we will be doing that. Hmm. And that's that. And that's that. Cheers for years. Cheers for years.